Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I am the host here at Yoga Birth Babies, and I'm so excited to have my friend Terry Richmond back. So she did an amazing podcast when I first started. I think she might have been my third or fourth I interviewed, and it's all about having an empowered birth. Today, we're going to talk about doulas, and Terry is well-equipped to talk to that. She was my mentor. She's done how many births have you done? I think it's over 600. I'm I bad think at counting. She's rather well qualified. <laughs> um, so she was my mentor. She's been, she's one of the most sought after duels here in New York City. So the angle we're taking today, I'm going to have Terry tell you a little bit about herself, but just giving you a heads up, the angle we're taking today, it may feel a little bit schizophrenic that I'm going for the angle of Terry's going to talk about what a doula is, how she can, how a doula can support moms and partners. But I also thought since she's such a seasoned doula, and I had the honor of having her available to me that when I had questions about my path as a doula, she was there to answer. And as I mentioned, over 600 births, she knows what she's talking about. So this podcast is for moms that are pregnant, partners that are expecting, and for doulas that are maybe new to the path and maybe getting a little bit of experience. So I'm going to hand this off to Terry just so you can hear a little about who she is and her background. So... Take it away, Miss Terry. Hi, um, Terry Richmond, and I have been <laughs> confessional, a full-time doula for over 14 years, um, mostly here in New York City, occasionally just outside the city and in Vermont. Um, I got interested in this work when I was pregnant with my son. Back then I was an actress, and he and I were on Broadway when he was in my <laughs> belly, which was fun. Um, but I got interested in my own birth and started exploring possibilities for it. And I was sort of amazed and dismayed by my lack of options and also that I could be um, a woman in her early 30s and well-educated and have no idea what, what to expect. So the more interested I got and the more I read, the more I became probably pretty political at that time about birth and about my choices. And I went on to have my son, which was fantastic. I went on to train to be a childbirth educator right after he was born um, because I wanted to have some credentials when I got on my soapbox with all my <laughs> friends. Um, and in looking at what I wanted to do next and as a mom and as a person and where my passions lay, I stumbled into Deborah Pascali Bonaro doula training, which absolutely uh, changed my life. And I founded Birthday Presence with Jada Shapiro, um, which I have since left, but I have been a full-time doula all these 14 years, and that has really stayed my my focus and my joy and my challenge. And um, like I said, over I guess over 600 births now, I'm not very good with the administration part. <laughs> and uh, it's a lifestyle commitment that I... That I um, sometimes push against a little bit, but I love, love, love the work and I'm honored to do it and I still teach and I full-time doula and that's where we are. That, yeah, that's that it. is it. All right. And she, I'm, I actually never asked, do you, as I was mentioning, you and I met early in the start of birthday presents in yeah. your doula path yeah. as well as prenatal yoga center. So I never asked, did you mentor other women? Absolutely. Through birthday presents. Many, right. Right. So birthday presents became what happened was Jada and I met at Deborah's doula training and Jada was a dancer. I was an actress. And we had this <laughs> crazy idea that we would be doulas like by day and, you know, doulas by night, night really. <laughs> and performers by day. I don't know what it was. We had this idea that if we had a partner, we could keep our artistic lives going. Um, I think we both I'm going to speak for her, but we both I know for myself very, very happily and very quickly realized that we had no interest in pursuing the other stuff. And we really committed to the birth stuff. And as a result, back then, there were almost no, like, websites for doulas. Like, it, it sounds crazy now because it's a very formalized thing. But back then, there were definitely doulas making a living at it. But we were much more formal and much more organized. Mm -hmm. And we started to get a great deal of work. And we wanted to not just send it out to people we didn't know. So we started um, having more doulas work within our company. And it grew. And I and we part of what we did was um, 
mentor new doulas. Well, so they were lucky. There was a lot of mentoring going on, and mentoring someone twenty four seven, as you know, yeah. is a big commitment. So yes, I've gotten many emails, many calls, many texts. Yes, two in the morning. <laughs> yeah, How about this back labor. So yes. <laughs> well, I never called you two in the morning. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a little bit of an explanation of Terry's path into the whole birth world and becoming a doula. So let's switch gears and just shift to those that are even thinking about a doula or maybe this is just a new concept and word for them. Can you explain what a birth doula is and how it differs from a postpartum doula? Sure. So uh, doula, first of all, is a Greek word, means a woman who serves, or that's our translation so far. Um, So doula, in the sense of a birth doula, a birth doula is a woman, and these women have existed all through time, a woman who helps uh, um, a laboring woman through birth. You know, that's what we do. Um, And as I said, historically, this has always gone on. Women have always had support from other women who know what the experience is, who've been there, who have confidence. Um, in our, I think, fair to say, broken healthcare system, um, there's a real hole there. There is not a through line of support for uh, women or expected parents when they're in labor and when they're giving birth. And, and the, the professional doula, birth doula, is going to fill that role. Um, so my job is, you know, physical, emotional, informational support. It's a non-clinical role. It supports your clinical care provider, works together with them, um, but fills in the gaps of what the nurses can't do, of all the alone time that, that people have when they're in labor, and really provides that continuous emotional uh, and physical as needed uh, support. Um, my job is not to take over, but it is to, to support that. So that is really the scope of a birth doula. We work with our clients a little bit prenatally to prep them specifically for the birth, make sure expectations are in line, all of that. We provide you know physical present labor support all through the labor. We stay for initial breastfeeding. We stay and visit um, after you know a week or the first week or whenever the client needs it um, and do a postpartum visit. Again, tracking breastfeeding, helping with healing, giving referrals. Um, a postpartum doula is going to be a doula that is going to support the expe- the new parents um, postpartum. You know, as soon as you get home from the hospital birth center or if you're home already, um, they're going to come, they're going to do shifts, they're going to do overnights, whatever it is that you need for care. A postpartum doula is going to help you to become more confident as parents. So they aren't coming in to say, I'm going to take care of the baby. And It's different than a baby nurse. It's different than a baby nurse in that way. It's a holistic, we want to take care of the family. You you know, have a million questions. Great. You want to learn how to bathe your baby. Great. Let us help with that. Obviously, tons of breastfeeding support. And just how do you strap on those crazy car- you know, carriers now, <laughs> which I can't figure out. <laughs> you know, anything, whatever you need. But that's the birth, uh, the postpartum doula model is the care for after. Very different because I've had people ask, and some women do both. Sure. But just making sure for listeners understanding that some women do just birth doula, some do just postpartum. I was working with a couple. Um, I did a private childbirth ed the other night, and we talked about the expectations of the nurse, the right. labor and delivery nurse. Right. And they were on the fence about hiring a doula. I think I, and I was really honest. I'm like, I cannot come at this unbiasedly. I mean, right. this is my, my, what I did for so right. long. And they thought, they started to realize as they've been reading and talking to people that they thought the nurse was going to be with them a fair yeah. amount. I said, not in the model of care that we have going on no. now, especially in the hospitals here in New York City, because, you know, people listen to this all over the world. But here in New York City, there are, big hospitals and the nurse could yeah, be covering busy. anywhere from three to five rooms and they're switching shifts and so what I started noticing the father feeling was a great responsibility mm-hmm. when we went over the pain management techniques we went over the emotional signposts of labor for him to have a sense of what to look for right. he started to panic a little and he was well educated he was reading uh, Penny Simpkins The Birth Partners so right. he was really right. I was really impressed with his knowledge But I think the reality sets in for partners, there's a lot of responsibility. I know for my second birth, and you were my doula for both, so don't take this in offense, but for my second one, there was a moment that I'm like, I was confident it was going to work quicker, and I got this sense I'd want to be more alone. Yeah. And when I mentioned to Joey, I'm like, do you think we need to have Terry there? He's like, yes. (laughs) 
And I'm like, oh, so this is more for you than me. (laughs) Sometimes it is. And sometimes it is. Because I know many times walking into the environment with the laboring mom, I see it. You should do too, I'm sure. The relief coming over the partner's face. Like, oh, thank God you're here. Well, you bring up a great and very, very important subject with regard to doulas and partners, right? The idea that some people are fearful about having a doula because they think that they will you know, make it, uh, allow their partner to be less involved and or take over in a way that doesn't allow the intimacy of the birth process. And, you know, it's really the opposite. You know, and I think about the births I went to when I was a brand new doula and how nervous I was. And I'd even had more training than any partner is going to have. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'd given birth, by the way. So, um, you know, when we put that expectation on our partners, when we say, hey, you can't have feelings, you only have to take care of me, I think that that's unfair. And there is absolutely no way that somebody can be as prepared you know, um, for the experience, no matter how many books and classes they, they take, as someone who's been to a lot of births, right? Mm-hmm. So my goal, and I say this to all the clients I meet, is I want to free up the partner or the husband to be the partner or the husband. That's a role they're already good at, right? Mm-hmm. This is a, hopefully a loving partnership. So why not keep the partner in that role of loving support and allow the support for the both of the parents' um, you know, it frees them up instead of putting them in the stress place. And it's true, unfortunately, because of the way hospitals are structured. Nurses are incredibly busy. And when they're in the room, they're on the computer. They're charting. You know, the expectations on them are are awful. So, um, yeah, I think my goal in my work as a birth doula is to make it a more intimate experience for my couple. I think that that's a huge priority. Um, It shouldn't be a reason that people don't want to doula there. But that's often things I do hear the partner, the women report back and the partner feels like I'm going to be left out. Now, I will say, I felt like that was a skill I had to learn. Yeah. That as a brand new doula, it's also a lot younger, um, a lot more excited. Yeah. Um, I do think there might have been times where I came in and maybe took over and it took a little bit of stepping back and I'm sure of course talking to you to learn how to negotiate the space as well as how to involve the partner. So we're going to now look a little bit. So for the newer doulas listening, can you talk about how you would give them some advice about right. how not to overpower yeah. the situation. Because it's a rookie, not mistake so much, as just, it's the nature it's a learning of it. And what term. I think it has to do with is a new doula wants to prove that she has a purpose for yes. being there. And, you know, I, I cannot tell you how many births I've been on where I am very hands-off and, and doing very subtle things and, and just standing back and just tweaking things, you know, making a suggestion here, placing a hand there, um, and then after had such gratitude from the parents and I think oh my gosh I hardly did anything and what well, that your is presence, that's a big thing. your presence is huge and your pre- positive presence being around and what you know allowing them to have the intimacy if things are working you don't need to insert yourself and prove you belong there you know um, that means things are working so even if you are worried that they're going to think that you shouldn't have been there it, it is the right thing to do is to you know to me it's every birth is obviously different but my job partially my job is figuring out what my role will be at this labor and of course it can change each labor so as a new doula I think you're so wanting to prove that you belong there so wanting to show what you've learned so understanding that you have skills someone else doesn't have but we have to be really respectful of again the intimacy of the partnership again a woman some women want hands off some women want silence some women you know don't want as much instruction but when they open their eyes they want to know you are there believing in them so it is it is a learned skill to know that you can do a lot less and be very powerful. And it's also a learned skill to be confident, not just with the partner, to say, hey, try this or don't try this, um, but to be confident enough in, say, the hospital environment or with the midwife or the doctor that you know how to find your place because mm-hmm. figuring out how to find your place is a big part of it. And as a new doula, you've got to figure it out. And when I teach, I say to partners, listen, you're going to be afraid to do the wrong thing and you're not going to do anything. And that's not useful right? Still, all these births later, helping people in labor is trial and error. I say, let me try to push on your back this way. If you don't like it, I'll stop. I can't know if it's going to work till I try it. So I'm also, you know, conversely with saying, oh, I'm not afraid to hang back. I'm also pretty brave about just trying stuff. 
Like, it's really time to get in the shower. I know you don't want to, but we're going to do it. You, you made know? me do that. I did not want to get in the shower. And, <laughs> and on like, number two, and it turned the corner. It did. And number I didn't two. want to get I'm out. I'm sorry, of your daughter's safe. <laughs> number two. And I didn't want to get out of the shower at one point. But it's just, yes, but then it was kind of important. <laughs> yeah, because we've got to give birth within minutes. <laughs> but there is that ownership yeah. of watching, seeing, meeting the woman where she is, meeting the partner yes. where they are. Yeah. Learning to step back and learning when to assert. It's yeah. definitely a dance that takes sure. time. Sure. But any, I mean, you look at how this started in terms of the doula as a career and, you know, the um, the med students who were sitting in with Kendall and Klaus, whatever. Yeah. It's more than we want to get into. <laughs> but what they discovered was just having someone that the couple trusted who sat in the room and smiled at them and did nothing had a positive impact on outcomes. Now, I'm not saying do nothing, but I am saying... That there is benefit to that. So trust that your confidence and your love and your desire to nurture them and be present and experience this with them is profound because it is. I'm jumping. I'm still going to jump back to yeah. more benefits of doula in a second, but I want to keep going on this topic about newer doulas. And you, you mentioned something I want to keep expanding on. The doula and the dance between the care provider. <laughs> because I know, I know. I How much time do we have? I just <laughs> opened this, you know, Pandora's box. Um, personally, yeah. I get my feathers very ruffled when I hear of a doula over-asserting herself because it harms our profession. It harms our profession. Yeah. Um, we don't want to demonize the doctor because that woman did choose that doctor, mm-hmm. but I do hear about strife that's been caused. Of course. So can you speak a little about that as yeah. well as maybe advise or give your mentoring magic about how to handle that and how to find, I guess, feel confident with the doula's own skill. It's really, it is tricky. It's still tricky for me to navigate all these years later, though I think it is one of my strengths and why I've been able to stay in the business is is being a good diplomat, you know, and being able to sometimes almost disappear in that room so that my client is not... Um, treated more poorly because they chose to have me there. Um, But I would go back to the meet and greet when I meet people and they say, okay, we don't really like our doctor, but we're going to hire you and you'll fix it. (laughs) The magic wand. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm blessed, right, that I have enough work and I can really be frank when I do these meet and greets, whatever the issue is, I can say, oh, I don't, you know, support that choice. I mean, I cannot, I can hold your hand while they give you a C-section, but I am not able to, nor should I ever interfere clinically. So if you don't like your care provider, the doula is not the solution. Finding a new care provider is a solution, and I happily help people find better fits um, when they need to. That being said, I also work with doctors who are very interventive, who like me because I understand the boundaries, and when I meet those couples with those doctors, I say, here's the deal. Once we're in the room, he is 100% in charge. This is his style. If this is what you want, great, I'm with you, and I can do what I do around that, and I do. Um, But that is a hard gig. Um, So starting first and foremost with setting expectations. I think it's also important that our, our clients know that when the doctor or any staff any clinical staff comes in the room and says, blah, 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 we're going to X, Y, Z, start Pitocin, they should not then turn and look at their doula and say, what do you think? Because it's absolutely going to undermine the process. Um, I just train my clients to say, hey, can we have some time to think about it? And then we can have the discussion and I can help them understand what questions to ask. But if, if a doctor says, this is what I want to do, and a client turns to me and says, Terry, what do you think? I'm sunk, she's sunk, the doctor's angry, it's a bad scenario. So um, just asking for more time. Um, a doctor or staff is never, ever, a midwife is never going to give you more time when there's clinical urgency. In fact, they're not even asking the questions. Right. As you know, Deb, they just do what they right. need to do if there's clinical urgency. So it's always safe to say, hey, we have a little time to think about it, to pray about it, to wonder. Um, so that is what I try to help set up to That's help You're prepping not your clients. Prepping say, my clients. This is the scenario that might come up. I'm happy to go over the pros and cons, discuss the foundation for you to make a decision, exactly. an empowered decision, an right. educated decision. But while we're having this discussion with the doctor, don't look at me. I right. like that. We can't undermine the doctor blatantly. Right. <laughs> or the midwife. I want to be clear. The other thing I do prenatally, because much of this I've learned is about prep and setting expectations. I make sure, no matter how well I know the practice, that my client has had the conversation with at least one member of their practice about their expectations. So when we arrive and the nurse says, oh, you have to have IV, 
we can super warmly say, oh, we talked to Dr. So-and-so, and she said she could have a block. <laughs> we talked to your partner, and she said this would be okay, because yes, of course we're going to advocate. I don't want to give the implication that I don't, because God knows I do. But we're doing it in that very warm way. And, oh, these are the expectations we were told by your partner, by the doctor, by the midwife. Um, so setting the stage for that. And, then, and never a confrontation with a big smile. Always, big I smile. tell my students, I'm like, big smile. You know, what do you think? Can we do this? Right. This is what we talked about. Right. Big smile. That if big, you start confrontational, right. it's just going to spiral. And be finding it. Many ways to be helpful. Help the nurse as much as you can. But also, I use the partner. Because really, again... I cannot interfere with care. I don't make decisions for you. So I'm whispering in dad's ear. I'm saying, okay, the next time they come in, they're going to want to do this. And I'm encouraging you to ask these questions, you know, because asking the partner to advocate makes more sense. I want to free up mom from any of that. Um, I think that people think they're going to have all these huge decisions to make. There aren't often a lot of decisions to make because clinical decisions are clinical decisions. But um, there are ways to advocate for more of the experience you want. And so I do a lot of whispering in the ear of the partner as well. Um, those are really the things we do. And, and I think setting, the more you can help your client to have the proper expectations for the hospital experience and really talk to their doctor or midwife about that ahead of time, the better it is too. Because you don't want your client going in with completely <laughs> unreasonable expectations. Because right. that's, as the doula, you're setting them up as well. And that's not fair, right? And, and then the one more thing that you said was they did choose this care provider. I had that, I had that experience. And you can cut me off any time. But I had this experience at birth last month where she was with this doctor that I happen to work with sometimes who's very conservative. And he's decided he likes only me, and I'm willing to work with him. We haven't worked out. We're like the odd couple. But we haven't worked out, and I help my clients, and he does his thing. And, you know, he's very sweet. There's a, you know, all people are a mixed bag. He's just clinically conservative. Anyway, the point of the story is that doctor wanted to do a C-section. Um, instead, he was inducing with the, you know, by saying, but I think we should just do a C-section. My client, with my support, was definitely going to try for a vaginal birth. I was tiptoeing around how I felt about him behaving this way because she really was happy in his care. What we had throughout the day was nurses that I love, well-meaning nurses who were completely undermining the doctor by saying, oh, I can't believe he wants to give you a section. This is terrible. This is terrible. And, you know, I you've got to know your audience. This was undermining from my client, right? She, she, she was losing confidence. She was like, I feel uncomfortable that the nurses are in conflict with my doctor. These are both clinical care providers, and they're in conflict, and it's making me uncomfortable. Um, so though I support the nurses, you know, desire to support this client who by the way went on to have a vaginal birth thank you very much though I support the nurses who were doing a great thing by saying honey you I think you could do this though you have to again going back to how do we support our clients you have to be thoughtful about who they are and the choices they've made so it wasn't that I wasn't sort of having a similar message but you can't undermine the doctor and then that's not fair so that, that also then the clients can lose confidence feel conflicted that's it. she felt conflicted she's going to be in her head instead of being in her body exactly it, it, it was not helpful to her right yeah, all these decisions should have been made before they had been made, yeah. right? She was pursuing the induction. Yeah. She was pursuing a vaginal birth. So I think, and I don't want to be critical of the nurses. These are well-meaning nurses, but you've got to know and your audience. And they probably thought they were <laughs> supporting her. Supporting right. And her. they were, but not in a way that she felt that Right. I right. hear that. Right. All right, so I'm going to back up a little yeah. bit to, can you explain the benefits of having a doula besides the continuous care? I know that DONA cites, you know, lower interventions. Mm-hmm. Maybe I just said the whole thing there. Um. <laughs> no, I mean, certainly if you read the stats about lower interventions, lower C-sections, um, I'll say less epidurals, but I don't want to say that that's our goal because we are, you know, our job first and foremost, and I can't believe I haven't said this, is to support people for the birth that they want to have, right? I don't you know, meet people and say, this is the way to do this. I absolutely meet people, learn about what their goals are and help them. And that means some people hire us to help them through scheduled C-sections, yeah. you know, because they get it that this is a big event and, and they want support. Um, so definitely help people who plan to have epidurals, but help them do it wisely and minimize sort of the unnecessary stuff that can be a negative from any and As you mentioned, you know, the emotional, the physical. Emotional, physical. Information. So, um, so I think that people... I, you know, 
definitely the stats on lower intervention rates, but I think also that people will come often come out of a birth when they've had support feeling at least that they had agency. You know, when I look at, like, my really long, tough births that end in C-section anyway, um, what is great about them is that we have a healthy mommy baby, but also that um, mom had agency, that she knows we tried everything, that she doesn't look back and go, why, why, why? You know, and that goes to the story I just told. Yeah. I wanted to go for it and see what happened. And um, so there's two parts to that. One is that we know that um, we can lower postpartum depression when women aren't looking back and saying, why, 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 when they do feel that they had agency, when they did participate. Um, two, we know that even though you may end up with a C-section, that laboring was worthwhile, that that was good for your body, for the baby, for breastfeeding, for everything going forward. So um, benefits to all that. So yeah, I saw a study where it showed that women had continuous support and education had a more satisfying birth, regardless of the outcome. Regardless and I think of that's very important. It's huge, and you can't quantify it. I also always wonder, and I don't think you'll ever be able to quantify it, but I wonder how much we, this is self-serving, but I wonder how much we impact people's birth experiences by helping them to feel safe leading up, like helping them not only be prepped, but really to know that someone is there for them, that they're going into the experience more confident, more relaxed, um, that their spontaneous labor might be more likely to happen. Like, I wonder how much impact that has, because I know when I'm on the phone with someone for 45 minutes who had a freak out that day and feels better at the end, I know that's having an impact on her chemistry. Well, just hormonally. Hormonally, if the adrenaline exactly. is lower, exactly. the oxytocin can be higher if a mom is anxious. And labor can start. And labor can start. So if mom is very anxious about, is it going to start, is it going to start, do I have my support around? On me, I'm you know I'm very insecure about the flow of labor. That's going to inhibit her body Everything. from really letting go and right. starting to ride. Exactly, so I, that's, just chemistry, right? that's just chemistry. Yeah, pure chemistry. Going back to other interviews you've done, Miss <laughs> um, Buckley. <laughs> and then I would yes, and uh, and or she goes and she has an appointment with the you know radiologist, and they say, oh, what a big baby, and she leaves crying. And then we get on the phone and we talk about what else is going on and what are the other possibilities and what's true for her and her body and her baby. I don't I don't know the impact of those things, but I know that women and you know expecting parents deserve support in that way as well. Right. Um, so So those are good benefits. So let's talk now that maybe someone's listened to this for the first time and they might have been on the fence, doula non doula, maybe they're like, Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into the camp of having a doula. How would someone go about hiring a doula and what happens after they hire that doula? Well, I mean, I guess I can speak for what we do here. Um, That's true, because places we do do different things. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, here I will say people find me through things like uh, their prenatal yoga classes. Mm-hmm. They certainly find me through their doctors and midwives. They find me through their friends who've used doulas. Those are, it's great to get referrals that way, but people also just go on the internet and we have Dona, you know, mm-hmm. doulas of North America. Um, oh no, they have international. Dona International now. Yeah. Um, you know, there are websites, there are doula matches, there are doula searches. You can go that doula way co-ops, as well. There's all kinds of things. So there's a lot of different ways to find doulas. Uh, what we do here is we all do free meet and greets. You know, we, I believe that a doula is a very personal decision. I don't care if six people have recommended me to you. I think that, you know, getting to know me and seeing if I'm the right fit for you um, is essential. So we do free meet and greets. You get together, and I would encourage some people to do a lot of those until mm-hmm. they find the right fit. You'll probably meet a lot of great women, and you might just like all of them. But, you know, what you want to do is feel it and feel that it's the right uh, fit. And I think that some of that is is intuition as well as, you know, let's face it, experience usually costs more. So um, having more experience can make an impact. Um, and so setting your budget and figuring that out. And that's going to vary widely, too. Um, but doing the meet and greet and making a decision that way. And you can meet a bunch. You can meet one and just feel great. It, it's up to you. But there should be opportunities for you at least to have a great phone call, if not an in-faith, in-person meeting with the doulas and what was the rest of the question? Yeah, what do they do after they hire? But just before we jump to that, um, so for our listeners, I will put on our show notes a link to the Prenatal Yoga Center blog that I wrote about what is a doula. And with that, I have about 10 questions that are great mm-hmm. for an interview. Right. And I'm just going to put my own little tidbit in that if you're working, if your budget is limited, yeah. which is you know a reality for many of us, and you can't hire a more experienced doula, I always recommend, as I was fortunate, and Terry has been the mentor of others, make sure that newer doula has someone to reach out to. So mm-hmm. should they be in 
in a bind or learning about a situation for the first time. I remember the first back labor I encountered. It was pretty early, maybe birth like five or six. But I reached out to Terry because I was like, I don't understand what is going on. And we figured out his back labor. So if your budget is limited or you just really jive with this newer doula, it's helpful that she has someone that can support her nice. as she's discovering the path of labor. So the second part of my big Wait, question I remember your first back labor phone call differently. <laughs> oh, you do? I remember you called me and you're like, I think it's back labor. I've done these 16 things to help her and she oh, still has right. back labor. What do I need to do? And I'm like, Deb, I was you've call- actually done everything I would do. Okay, so I'm glad I, I wanted to give you a little credit there. Uh, I do remember I was actually on my way to Whole Foods because it'd been so long and she finally yeah. took a, an epidural and I'm like, this is what I've done. What do I do? You're right. You're absolutely right. I'm you glad have, you have, you have done a great job. You well, just you needed t- to hear it. You taught me All well. Right. So once someone finds their doula and hires them, what happens next? Again, speaking for myself and the doulas that I know, um, you know, I full-time partner with Catherine Stewart Lindley, and we have, you know, a pretty extensive website, and we have very specific things that we want to talk with our clients about and help them be prepared. So, you know, there's some preparation that we do just via kind of information we put out there, and we that part of it we leave to our clients. Like, how much do you want to dive in? If you want to dive deep, it's here. If you don't, that's cool, too. Um, I set up about a 35-week prenatal meeting with them. Um, Prior to that, they fill out paperwork for me to prep me for that meeting. I find that that meeting is a good deal more in-depth if I have oh, gotten so a lot of stuff out of the See, that's streamlining. I used to take notes and then type it up. Yeah. I love that well, you I have do them that too, do. But <laughs> I do that too. Um, clients, what is their ideal? What are their biggest fears? What are their biggest wishes? What are their priorities? We've got to think about priorities in this. And, and of course, I don't ever take for granted healthy mom, healthy baby. But I do take for granted that is our primary goal, and I want to talk about beyond that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, engaging the partner and, and finding out where they are and what they want as well as, as the expectant um, mom. So all of that happens. We do the prenatal meeting. Um, again, I, or I didn't say it, I'm on call in terms of phone and email and them reaching out anytime during that period since they hired me. But obviously, the context sort of escalates as they get closer to their due date. They're feeling more. They're having more appointments. They're checking in more. Um, I'm sending my clients back to their care provider with questions. You know, I may be sending them for body work. I may be checking in about baby position. I may be checking in about what they are eating or their hydration. Um, You know, anything to help them prep for the day to make it go more smoothly. I also tell my clients I want to hear from them if they're wondering if it's labor. A lot of people will make a mistake of... um, Getting very dehydrated and not getting any sleep in early labor, and then and, feel like what's and they on? call me. You know, yeah. at eight eight p.m. they feel some contractions. They get all excited. They call everyone. They stay up and time fifteen minute apart. You know, cramps. <laughs> And then they don't call me till 2 a.m. And by then, and I'll say, great, how much sleep have you gotten? Oh, none. You know, oh, have you been drinking? Oh, whoops, no. So we already are behind the eight ball, unfortunately. So I like to hear if you're wondering if it's labor. I get a little frustrated with my clients who Google things. I'm like, you hired me, you know, I, call me first. But I want to hear if you're wondering if it's labor so that I can help you make wise decisions. Not because you need me yet, but... But I think that's good to hear the expectations. I know since the doula world has really expanded the the career of doula, yeah. um, it's gotten a little bit more competitive. So mm-hmm. I always followed your path, you know, availability, information, one prenatal meeting. Of course, I mainly took my students, so I saw them on a regular yeah, basis. Right. But for those out there, some other doulas, and I, I, it's a lot because they're trying to create like packages. Sure. Some will offer prenatal classes. Some will do acupressure. Some will do two or three meetings. So just have for those considering hiring a doula, um, look at what you're expecting. But I I think it's pretty standard. It was taught to me that you know one meeting is usually sufficient, and then being available, phone call. But I love the the pre paperwork. Right, I the think paperwork helps a lot. And it's not that I never see a client again. I will say I've had people going past due, and I can tell they're freaking out, and I just go over and hang mm-hmm. out with them because again, that they're not helping themselves. I'm not helping them if they are anxious and, and worried. So of course there are opportunities where you see people more than once. But I do find if you are available. And and you're efficient in the way you work, you're prepped and you have that relationship. But. So what's your personal, you described this a little bit, I'm guessing it's more that you've learned to read the situation. Do you have a personal approach that you've developed through on your doula 
career? Hmm. I think my immediate gut response is absolutely not. <laughs> in that we my job is. is to not have an approach in that respect, right? My job is to support people where they are in a non-judgmental way, right? So my job is to not have an opinion about where birth is supposed to be. Um, but of course, at the same time, my approach is sort of of who I am, right? I know myself. I know that I'm a person that is pretty good with people, for instance. So, you know, trying to smooth the pathways, trying to, I'm a very nurturing person. So certainly that would be considered part of my approach. Um, but I'm also, you know, I'm pretty stubborn. So I think if I have an approach, it's just inherent with who I am and that I'm well suited to be a doula as this person that I am. Um, but my approach is to assist my couples and my expectant parents in the way that they need and wish. And that's going to vary drastically, you know. Do you so. think your mentor, Deborah Pascali Venera, who, yes. thank you for setting me up to meet her because she's delightful. She's awesome. Uh, truly awesome lady. Do you think that you were influenced by her approach, which seems very similar to yours? Yeah, of course. Unquestionably. Very grounded. I mean, if, if I could very be present. her. <laughs> Because we all want to be. Deborah has skills that all of us are stunned by. I know there are people that think I have skills, but Deborah has the skills. Like she, you know, she says things in a way where you go, "Oh, I got to write those exact words down." How did she know exactly how to say that? Um, and she also is truly one of the warmest people I know, and and one of the most calming. So I um, big fan, and yes, and you know, coming from Dona, and I feel really strongly. I, I, I mean, I learned it early on. Like I thought I knew something about birth because I'd given birth. I knew nothing about what that woman will experience in that birth, in those moments. You know how we perceive things, and there's just too much wiggle room. So. You can't, you can't be didactic. Yeah, I, I'm pretty adamant with my new teachers that come in for yeah. our teacher training. Yeah. And even for our students to understand that if a woman has, had, has not had a baby or has had one or two, you can't only teach from that experience. No. Because, you know, I've had two. I'm stopping at two. But they were dramatically <laughs> <Aww>. different. <laughs> dramatically different. Yeah, And so are. I can't assume. I'm here to tell you. Yeah, true. So, you know, I can't assume that what I felt some or what I was thinking someone else would. So yeah. it's just a place to, I guess, support from. But you can't just go from there. Also, if you're a pregnant woman, I bet you have a lot of experience with people telling you their story, and often, unfortunately, a horrific one, and them thinking that, that like, they'll tell you what you have to do because this is what happened to them. And I'm always reminding my clients, like, you know, these people have had one experience. When you tell me about your sister-in-law's birth and what she <laughs> tells you you have to do, please understand she's coming from one experience of this incredibly diverse experience for people. And it's you not know? just that. I mean, she's coming from her own history of how yeah. she perceived birth, the stories that were told to her, her <laughs> pelvis, what she All did during her pregnancy, exactly. her health. So there's such a... There's so there's much variety. so much there. Infinite variety. Yeah, and there's just so much there to create who she was as she birthed right. to compare. Right. So you've done over 600 births. You've been doing this for about 14 years. Has anything shifted throughout your years of practice as you've learned and saw and witnessed? And if You mean so, with me or do you mean within the system? Well, we're going to get to that in a minute. That's the question yeah. next. But with you and then literally my next question is about the shift of the system. Yeah, so let's start with I, your I agree with me, and I think we've touched on some of this because, excuse me, my confidence in sometimes doing less, but just my confidence. I mean, confidence. And I, and certainly after like 100 births, you're a great deal more confident, but there is something that finally shifted a few years back where I just sort of finally started to trust, like I wasn't about to be found out. So I think my own comfort with being a doula um, <laughs> is not better. a sham. Right. And, um... Let's see, what's shifted? Um, not having a three, two, and three-year-old at home and being on call. It's much easier to have a 15-year-old. But that is precisely <laughs> why I'm not a doula right yeah, now. Exactly. With a two- and four-year-old, it just was not Although happen. I have the flip side. Now I have a kid who texts me and says, are you coming home soon? Because you know he's trying to get away with something. So, um, no. So the lifestyle has become simultaneously easier as I've grown used to it and my life has changed. 
and somewhat harder. Like, honestly, I feel the years. I'm not going to say how ancient I am, but <laughs> it can so get harder. It does get harder on me physically, and I wonder if that impacts how I uh, help my clients, but I, I don't believe it does. I know my commitment is still there. I think if I ever was on a birth and found myself not remembering that this is the most sacred and special day of their life, then I would probably have to stop, but I don't feel that's happened. Um, I'm still amazed and thrilled by it. Um, but no, I think also I am, you know, in New York City, we have a lot of hospitals we practice at. There's huge amounts of staff. There's no way to know everybody. There's absolutely no way. But I have benefited from long-term relationships with doctors, midwives, and nurses. And it does benefit my clients that I have been there, done that, and that the, the staff trust me. And when mm-hmm. I get to have those experiences, when I really can collaborate with doctors and midwives and nurses, it is so good for my clients. And that is something that experience has created, you know. Before I get into about how the system has changed, because I so want to get there, but I think mm-hmm. that's a big subject, yeah, I want to go into something you just touched upon about, you know, so we all develop our own strategies and coping mechanisms for handling long births, and yeah. Yeah. how, as a doula, do you support women with a long birth while conserving and protecting your own energy? Hmm. It's such an ongoing conversation, and... Um, I do meet regularly with a group of of experienced doulas, and we meet once a month to sort of talk about, like, how do we keep doing this? And it is what we love, and we want to keep doing it, and our bodies sometimes are telling us, are you insane? What are you doing? Um, And we have talked about, you know, does it make sense to trade out, to bring in a fresh doula? And my stomach always lurches when we talk about it, because I just feel like someone who's been in the long haul, I know that she can benefit from fresh energy, but I also think there's something about deserting someone who's been in the it's long It's like you haul. build this cocoon of birth, and it's... <laughs> and also, like, why should... If mom isn't getting a break, it feels crappy to me to think about, I get a break. Um, how do I get through? First of all, you have to have the ability to be some like I'm good on adrenaline I know that I wouldn't still be in the business I know doulas that are like lose their mind if they're up all night they're just not well suited you know it's not a judgment it's just actually who you are right so I know I'm good with adrenaline I know I can do one night um I know how to go to sleep early I know how to you know never drink mom <laughs> do things that make sure that I am you can you know well right in a rocking chair yeah, right. I have my neck that? pillow I've learned how to sleep a little bit but um, no, I sort of know what my limits are. I know when I have to say, Terry, you can't. Like, if you're falling asleep standing up, you have to take a half hour, even if you don't want to. I tend to push myself really hard. I still do. What I find is just the recovery is taking longer and longer. It can take two and three days for me to really recover from a birth, and I didn't even give birth. Um, so I don't know. I'm not sure what my tools are beyond, like, not eating a lot of sugar and, you know, grabbing little rests where you can and and knowing your limits. And, um, you know, the reality is most of the time, if you have somebody in labor for two days, um, either there are sp- some spaces in that labor where everyone's getting five, eight, ten-minute naps, um, or there's an epidural in place where there's some opportunity to nap there. So, um, you know, the, you do what you do, I guess. But- This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Calendar. Let's be real. Running a household can be exhausting and chaotic. And finding the perfect Mother's Day gift, it's not exactly a no-brainer. Until now. The Skylight Calendar is the best way to organize the family and give everyone, especially mom, some peace of mind to enjoy the things that matter most. The Skylight Calendar is a smart, touchscreen calendar that keeps track of and manages the chores, dinner planning, groceries, and to-dos for the whole family. The Skylight Calendar automatically syncs each family member's digital calendars and displays them all together on one color-coded touchscreen. It even doubles as a digital picture frame so you can finally share all those special moments that are just sitting on your phone. As a limited time offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightcal.com slash easy. You did say you've learned to go to bed early. You're not having a very heavy sugar diet in general, (laughs) not a lot of drinking, all that help sustain a healthy body right. and help whether it's green tea or coffee or whatever you use to get through or, or sugar sometimes I use it to get through 
But um, your general lifestyle it, it, it is a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle, and it's a lifestyle of like, oh, I really want to go out with this friend, but I know someone's in early labor, and I, maybe I'll meet them for an hour instead of four. You know, you really have to honor the fact that you may be working for the next 30 hours, and sometimes I go to bed at 8 o'clock, and I know I might not sleep, but I'm going to rest, and I the know that that matters. Hard. I think the lifestyle of a doula is hard. It's absolutely the part that you hate about being And that's doula. one thing I do not miss. No. Um, it's the lifestyle. It's the being on call. <laughs> it's terrible. It's really hard, and what really finalized my the last birth I did I was pregnant with Sage yeah and it was That's over right. so I was pregnant uh-huh. I had a we two-year-old that. <laughs> I know we'll we talk about that yeah. I had a two-year and some doulas do this with no problem I, I had a two-year-old at home and I did an overnight birth and I came back around six in the morning which was when he was getting up and he was like mommy and it would no, just it days. kicked my but yeah, that was so the there is a whole lifestyle that one has to decide how much they're going to take in and what they're going to commit to it and if it's right for them and yeah. their circumstances. Yeah. And I do I do feel that as a older, more experienced doula, I recognize that I have a little more desire to make sure that my life is a factor, right? Mm-hmm. I think in the beginning it was like it was so noble no matter what. And, and this past year, having had some family crisis, recognizing like I may have to step out. I do have a full-time partner and that makes it easier. And I think at this point in my life, it's essential. You know, like parents die, things happen. Your kid gets really sick. You cannot expect a doula to give up on everything. I felt like I did that a little in the middle part where I was just like so gung-ho, I'm here for you, that I let some priorities shift that maybe shouldn't. And you know what Deborah said to me, Deborah, wise woman that she is, she said, I I don't think your clients would want you to be, you know, away from a major significant happening in your life um, and try to be present for them. I think you would be compromised. You know, why not bring in a doula that you know is amazing, who's going to be amazing for them? Um, So some of it is the doula job of letting go, too. So now I'm going to shift back to, because this is a whole new topic about... Have you seen any shifts in the pathology of birth throughout the years that it's changed the way you have to practice? Like, I remember when Mm. I first started, Mm -hmm. intermittent monitoring seemed a little more available. Mm. I mean, this was, like, I started maybe a year or so after you. I felt like more doctors were saying, okay, you can do intermittent. Now I feel like it is very hard to come by. That's Mm. just one example that I've... Feel or eating is actually people are more open to like now you yep. can eat eating as is a big good shift. So ha- what what shifts have you seen that ruffle you up a little bit, and what shifts have you been really happy to see? Yeah, I definitely happy to see, and I wish that hospital formerly known as Roosevelt would catch up, but. Um, <laughs> The ice cube only, really, really strict, I would be scolded for giving my clients water, um, has really shifted. Many hospitals doing clear. So any food you can see through, chicken broth, jello, ice pops, which doesn't sound like much unless, you know, previously you weren't allowed to drink and you could only have ice cubes. So that's been a huge benefit to a lot of my clients and or eating sooner after C-section. Um, cord clamping delay has been a huge shift. We made great progress on that in the last few years, getting that three-minute delay, getting a lot of blood back to baby. That's been a wonderful shift. I feel that it's easier now to delay the newborn procedures that we do here in New York City. Immediate eye, eye ointment and vitamin K shot, those things delaying them. I feel like they don't look at us like we're crazy. I have fewer nurses saying, why, why? Um, that's becoming more the norm. Um, not the norm, but it isn't crazy. More accepted. For it. More accepted. Um, I don't have that experience with monitoring. My experience with monitoring is always um, uh, doctor, midwife specific. Um, You know, my experience is there's hospitals that will tell you flat out, with this hospital, we always do continuous. And meanwhile, if I'm with one doctor, he's like, of course we can do intermittent. I'm with another doctor or midwife, and she says, no, 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 we have to do continuous. So that I haven't seen necessarily a trend myself, but maybe I'm just not remembering because I've been doing this too long. I, I feel that certain protocols for, say, things like NICU um, uh, admissions have gotten tighter. I feel like they're giving more antibiotics to more babies. Um, that is frustrating me. I, I think it's budgetary. I really believe they're keeping more babies in the NICU and keeping them longer. Um, but that is my own. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, I'm not alone in thinking that, but... I really, uh, I don't have a lot of support for it beyond anecdotal and myself and my colleagues. 
so I'm frustrated by that. That is frustrating. That's yeah. also disturbing. Yeah, I'm seeing you know babies getting um, I where there used to be we're just going to observe. We're getting more and more antibiotics just in case, and you know there's that's a much longer. When about. did PIT start to become a protocol post? Yeah, that's a good question. So Pitocin postpartum was not routine for everyone when I delivered Emory. I'm sure of it because I didn't have it. But I was also a birth center midwives. Um, I believe I don't know. That's a good question. But I know that it is in my history of doing this. I, it didn't used to be Pitocin for right, everyone. It wasn't. And it now I feel like wasn't. maybe last maybe five, eight point. years that's all of I a forgot. sudden. Yeah, I think it's like eight. And I believe and, and in the birth centers, too, like it isn't even, you know, it is absolutely it's rare that I get away with not having it. Um, and, you know, the trade off is, oh, we get cord clamping. You know, what happens postpartum that we can fix and what doesn't? Um, pretty much everyone. It's very rare that we can decline the postpartum pitocin. Are there any other trends that you've seen have um, diminished the woman's ability to have more of a pathological birth? Like the protocols, the hospitals are getting tighter? Well, I I, I think, again, to me, you know, there are definitely personalities to the hospitals, but it's much more care provider-specific, and people don't know this, that... The doctors and midwives really do make up as many rules as they can within the system they have. And you'll see doctors that really push the boundaries, and you'll see um, really tighter. I, I mean, it was a very interesting experience back when we had Sandy, mm-hmm. and one of our hospitals closed. And so we had people practicing at other hospitals. Um, and the oversight that happened there, I had a, you know an attending physician in her 50s, very well-respected, you know, um, and she was letting my client push for a very long time. Um, and, you know, the resident came in and was like, we have to go to the back. We have to do a C-section. The resident was sort of, you know, I don't fully understand, but I've seen this where hospital protocols are interrupting doctors and midwives. Um, I've known doctors and midwives to push the boundaries, um, and I've known them to use those rules. So the hospitals have rules, but there is wiggle room. But at the same time, we can't expect our care providers to flout them because mm-hmm. they have to practice. Because they do system. work for the hospital. I mean, here's something else that's changed, getting placentas out, right? Most hospitals are giving women their placentas now. There was a time where NYU <laughs> said you had to go through a funeral director to get your placenta. Uh-huh. Um, that being said, we have one group of hospitals that is adamantly keeping them for seven days. And I have advocated with you know, on epic levels to help my clients get their placentas. And even had a doctor who I work with a lot who's like, Terry, you cannot, like, she's like, I get it. I want them to have it. But we could lose, you know, we could not practice here. When is, I remember doing, the last birth I did, the one I was pregnant with Sage, um, she did get her placenta. It was NYU. It was in the middle of the night, so maybe things weren't quite as hectic. But uh, they gave it to me in a a Ziploc bag, and I got in a cab, and I took it home. Yeah. So it was about two years ago. When did things start to shift? It is the last few years. Um, I think, you know, Roosevelt was one of the first. uh, It's called Mount Sinai West. Now, Roosevelt was one of the first. They required it to go to pathology, but just briefly, and you labeled it, you know, for consumption, and it would come right back to you, and you could take it. NYU was doing that thing where you had to go through a funeral director, um, Cornell Columbia Presbyterian has held them for seven days and been adamant about it. Sinai is releasing them now. It's been shifting in the last couple it's of nice years, and it's sort of hospital to hospital. Yes, um, it is nice to see a shift, and it's nice to they. Oh, you want it here? Sign a paper, and it's yours. It came out of your body. Right. You can have that. Right. If if they need to do pathology on it, I understand if there's a complication. Um, but no, it's been shifting the last few years. It's just that there's a holdout, and they and they own three hospitals in the city, so we're really frustrated around that. I'm glad to hear that you aren't seeing too much of a negative restriction, that you're seeing some positive growth. I don't think so. I think we're mostly moving positively. I think that the fear of birth continues. Where I see negative, I think, is that hospitals are, yeah, you know, there is more conservative in terms of, um, there just isn't a lot of time for my clients, right? So I am finding restrictions on my clients in terms of getting into rooms, of having time to labor, of expectations about how long they're allowed to be pregnant. That's still a big stressor is, you know, getting women into labor by 41 weeks instead of giving them the 42. We have not made progress on that and maybe even backwards progress. Um, I think that the hospitals are more stressed Financially, So I feel like the energy is changing in terms of that, in terms of the busyness, in terms of the staff being available and relaxed. Um, I don't think we're moving in a good direction there. That's my experience with that. I do agree, and I think 
as you're saying the expectations, as I refer back to that couple I worked with for a private childbirth ed, one thing I kept going back to them is saying, you need to talk to your care provider ahead of time about right. what is her expectation right. of your labor. Right. Because she knows she's going to be induced. Right. And they're going to give we, you 36 hours exactly. or 12, you know. So before it even starts so that you're not wondering what is the expectation she has right. of your progress right. before she decides uh, failure to progress, which right. I remember the statistic for first-time moms, about a third of women that have C-sections, a third of first-time moms that have C-sections is because failure to progress. Sure. That's a common. big, yeah. that's a large amount. Definitely. So, and I'm, I feel like everyone I talk to, it comes back to, I remember Deborah Pascali Venara said this, and a few days after I spoke to her, I did have the honor of speaking with Dr. Sarah Buckley. It feels yeah. like it keeps going back to choosing your care provider. Yeah, and so, really I mean, that goes way, 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 way back. So if they chose their care provider and asked those questions at week eight, what are your going to be expectations? Yeah. It might smooth the road. So I do think having that knowledge of what do they expect is going to make the experience different and maybe I not agree. feel as restrictive. Right. I can push only for three hours. I can only labor for 20 hours or whatever. I'm giving arbitrary numbers. Yes. Right. I think, I mean, and that's again where I think I've changed a lot as a doula. I don't, I, I think I sort of mentioned this in a group of other answers, but when I meet people, I don't have any problem with being really honest with them. And about you're pretty ballsy about that. Yeah. At this point, because it's, I'm not serving my clients and they're not even my clients yet. And I really, I fortunately don't need the work and I'm not being offensive. I'm, I'm not speaking about other people's experience. I'm speaking about my own experience with practices or expectations. So, you know, I think it's really important if you have an idea of what you want for your birth that you're discussing. The problem for a lot of people is by the time they start to learn what they want for their birth, they are asking those questions. They feel it's too late to change care providers. And it's true. It gets a lot harder. Yeah. Um, here in the city, if you can go out and network, you can do anything and have great hands-on care. And it's great. But if you have to use your insurance, like most of us, mm-hmm. um, your options can be very limited. So, so start early. Think start early. early. So before we wrap up, last yes. two questions. Yes. What last piece of advice do you have for moms considering a doula? Let's start with that one. I would say just, and this is my advice in changing care providers too, go mm-hmm. ahead and meet people and talk with them and have, don't take it out of the theoretical, sit down, sit down with doulas, meet some, talk with them, get a sense. And, and you're either going to feel better in their presence or you're not. And if you and feel follow better, your gut. follow your gut. And that's true with care providers as well. If you're like, I'm not sure if I like my practice. It's not going to feel better on the day of the birth. I can assure you that. It's not going to feel so, protective. Absolutely. No. And then last question is, what advice do you have for new doulas or women considering being a doula? Woohoo! What <laughs> advice do I have for them? Gosh. Sleep well. Oh, yeah. I don't even know where to start. Um, no, I, I think, you know, it, it is a very exciting and empowering profession and at the same time, of course, incredibly humbling. And um, it is not very ego building because you really need to understand that when you are walking into specifically a hospital environment, also really a birth center environment, um, you are the least important person there. <laughs> and the first second you kicked out. You are the one that needs to sometimes disappear. You're the one who doesn't get to have an opinion. Um, even though your clients are wishing for it, you, then you got to find a way to sneak it in. Um, so it's important that your e- it's just not about your ego. It's, it's not about really, how much you know that you want to prove no, to the doctor. It's so much about being present for people and, and finding what is priorities for them. And, and sometimes it's really, really hard to feel good about their priorities, right? But that's still your job. Um, and, and, it, and it takes a lot of diplomacy to be able to say, wow, you know, I have a lot of information that might want to lead you in a different direction. Let's just talk through some things and know when to stop, right? Know when to stop and say, yep, that feels right for you. I'm going to support that decision. Um, because for me, and maybe this is also growth as a doula, I really think Expecting parents feeling confident is going to outweigh some of the smaller decisions like, oh, did we delay the eye ointment? I, 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 and people will argue that because, of course, breast crawl and setting up breastfeeding, and there's all these reasons to keep baby skin to skin. But I, I, I don't want to be in a position where I'm arguing my clients into you know what feels best for them. That's how they're going to parent. So why am I arguing with them? Um, I'm just going to present gently some information and see how far to go. Yeah, because then once you've set, once you've given the information, they're making an informed, educated, empowered decision. Right. 
and we need to respect. We need to respect that. And you know, just you need to bite your tongue. Right, right. And and I'm certainly a birth activist, and I have done a lot of work in that field. But that is separate and away from my work as a birth doula. If you were hired to be a birth doula, you're not wearing the activism hat. That is absolutely inappropriate. At the same time, just by being present, you are. You know, it is an act of civil disobedience in its own way. Um, But it is never about that. And I think if you're mixing those two things, and people will argue this, but this is my take on it. If you're mixing those two things, you're doing a disservice to that client on that day. This is not the greater picture. When I'm with a client, I'm with that client on that day. It is not about the bigger picture. There's other work to be done around that. I love that. You provide so much wonderful information. I love talking to you. It's such a <laughs> such a fun time for me. And we don't do it enough. We don't. We certainly don't. So thank you guys for listening today. And I'm going to put some contact information for Terry. I'm going to put her website on the show notes. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions you need to direct to Terry, I'm going to give you that information. Please take a moment to go to iTunes or Stitcher, depending on what you're listening to this through, and rate and review. And stay tuned for our next podcast. Have a wonderful day. Be well. Bye. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.